We're going to see that in the north or central the north part of Israel, Khatsar was the most powerful of the countries there. So when Yavin was a king of Khatsar, he hears about Yeshua's campaign, like we saw against all the various uh, countries, cities, kings of the south. So he gathers an army. These four other kings. And also, the kings of the north, in the mountain, which is Har Ephraim, the central part of Israel, is when the, the plains which go towards the coast, Negev HaKineres, so both on the side of the Kinneret, which was on the east side of Israel, same thing on the side of the sea, which is the west side. So he gathers the kings together. The Knanim who were on the east and the west. They lived in the central region of Israel. They lived in the north of Eretz and Mitzvah. So that's what we call the Golan. Shouldn't everybody have heard that? So they all joined forces and they marched together. An uh, army as many as the sand on the seashore. And also besides that, a tremendous amount of horses and chariots. We see a number of times in the Nakh, and when we talk about tanks today, or vehicles of war, what they had then was chariots. So for example, Pari's army, when he changed the Jewish people, his pride was in 600 chariots. When we see Sisra's army, we're going to learn about the same in Shaftim, he had 900 chariots. The amount of chariots was the strength of the army. And here we're talking about, it doesn't give us a number. Susferech of Rav Mo'od. Just a, a large amount. Vayivadu karamlachim ma'ele, they all met together. In other words, they didn't come separately. They united and they met, they marched as one force. Vayavoyo vayachnu yachta v'almei meroim, v'yilachim u'yisrael. So they all marched together and they, they camped in a place called Meimeroim to fight with Yisrael. Now, Vayoyma Hashem al-Yosheh. Hashem tells Yeshua, I'll tear him don't be afraid of them. Kimacha ka'esa zos, tomorrow at this time, anoichi noisin is kodam chalolim ifnei Yisrael. I'll give them all chalolim as corpses in front of Klai Yisrael. And now there's an interesting instruction. As Susayim to Aker, you must cripple their horses, ve'as markovisem to Shrev Ba'esh. You must burn the chariots in fire. To Aker is to cripple? Yeah. When it comes to horses, so they used to cut a certain tendon above the, above the hoof of the horse that it couldn't run anymore. So it could still walk, it could still act like a horse, but as a vehicle of war, the horse needs to be able to run. And by, by being more accurate, by crippling it, they wouldn't be able to run. So they wouldn't be useful as war, so to speak, animals anymore. Well, what difference? So Yeshua launches a surprise attack, and they fall on the, all this gathered masses of forces in Meimeram. Hashem delivers them to the hands of Klai Yisrael, they attack them. They chase them at Sidon Rabba, which is we know from Sidon is the Yagasi at Sidon. It's the far north that's in Lebanon. Even today, there's a city in Lebanon called Sidon. It's the same area as the biblical Sidon. That was on the west. And on the east, it was until Bikas Mitzvah, which is also very far north. Like Hashem promised, they destroyed them completely. There's no survivors. And then Yeshua did what Hashem told him to do. As the same to Iker, he cripples the horses. And he burns the chariots in fire. What is the point of that? 
what was the what would be wrong with the horses and with the chariots that there would be a instruction to disable them. So we see an interesting thing. When the pastor talks about this battle, about the clients are going to war against a much bigger army than themselves. So the Pasuk says in Pasha Shaftim, discussing such a battle, When you go to war against your enemies, When you're going to see horses and chariots and a nation much bigger than you, Don't be afraid of them. Now, this is the first time, the Prophet point out, that we've seen in Yeshua a battle discussing the horses and the chariots. There have been a number of battles already. Yericho, Yerai, the five kings, whatever it was. And it just talks about the soldiers. It talks about the people. This is the first time we find uh, two things. Number one, we find uh, a description of the horses and the chariots. And number two, there's Torah's definition of Amrav Mimcha, and much more people than you. Klayashal wasn't a small force. Klayashal had 600,000 soldiers. That's a pretty significant army. Right? When it talks about Yericho or Ai, for sure, those that didn't match Klayashal in, in numbers. But here's the first time, again, that besides for the fact that it talks about the Sus and the Rechev, it also says there's a tremendous amount of soldiers. Right? So here's what this would possibly, which is just read in Basha Shaftim, is referring to this battle. That you're going to go to battle and you're going to come across the Sus and the Rechev, the horses and the chariots, and a much greater amount of people than you. Yes, that is for our battle, or for Now, the, the, here's a special din we have of what's called the Koyen, who was anointed for battle to give a message to the Jewish people. And what's the message the Koyen gives? Shema Yisrael. You're going today to battle against your enemies, and it says, don't be afraid, don't be scared of them. Why? Because Baruch is going with you. Hashem is going with you to fight for you. Says, that what's the difference? And the, the Midrash says, the Mishnah says, I'm sorry, that the difference was the, Jew, the Goyish people, their pride was their horses and chariots. That is what they saw as a symbol of strength or military superiority. I mean, just like today, we talk about an air force or tanks, whatever it's going to be, missiles maybe. Then what they had was horses and chariots. So that was a sign of their strength. So the Bible says, don't be afraid of the horses and the chariots. Don't be afraid of what they have, so to speak, in military equipment. Why? Because the Kaddish Baruch is going to fight for you. Like the mission says, They come into fight with tools of human strength, or what people can, can so to speak, use to, for, to demonstrate military superiority, but you're coming with Hashem. Now, that's what Hashem tells you to show here as well. No Nisim, like before. Hashem tells you to don't be afraid. You'll see, you'll overcome them. And this is different to the wars until now. Like we saw in the previous battle, it was a battle of Nisim. Whether it was the sun standing still, whether it was raining hell the, from, from Shemaim, and there was a point for that, like we learned before, there was a reason to do miracles. The Pasha has a different Pasha. And that is, you're going to fight them, you're not going to be afraid of them, because you know that what they're showing is a symbol of their strength. Their horses and their chariots, these were their horses, these were their chariots, with their horses and their chariots. We're going to fight for Shem Hashem. 
which means the trust of Hashem is going to fight for us, and therefore he doesn't have to do a supernatural nisim. The fact that Hashem is going to give the battle into our hands and we'll be victorious, we understand that's coming from Hashem. A different type of lesson. Which is a different type of lesson. It's not the lesson that Hashem is totally taking over the battle, it's that Hashem is helping us to win the battle. And that's what happened over here. Right? Hashem tells you, so you're going to kill every last one of them, and you go fight, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will engineer it, so to speak, that that's what's going to happen, as opposed to the battle before, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu took it into his own hands and rained, rained hailstones on them to kill them. Now, we're going to see a long time. Yes, it's a long time. The point, which one to learn from here, and that is that the Torah has an objection to Kali Yisrael amassing horses and chariots. Why? Because those are the symbols of Goyish strength. And if we're going to amass horses and chariots, then we're going to fall to the temptation of thinking we're strong because we have military prowess. And it's exactly what Hashem doesn't want. Right? Don't fall, don't fall into the Goyish way of thinking that if you're a better equipped army, you're going to be more successful. Exactly. So doesn't need the horses, Hashem doesn't need the chariots, and we daft come in to go without them. And therefore, the fact that these, all these chariots and horses are going to fall into our hands is actually a negative thing. Because now we're going to think, well, we have this tremendously powerful army because we have all these weapons. And Berega people feel that they have some kind of physical, so to speak, protection, and it takes away from the Bitachan and Hashem. And therefore, Hashem tells Yeshua Merosh, you're going to win the battle, you're going to take over all these horses and chariots, render them useless for battle. You don't have to kill the horses, nothing awesome about them. But you render them incapable of going to war. Because that way you're not going to fall for the temptation of thinking that we have strength because we have horses. And same thing, destroy the chariots. Because that way you're not going to fall for the fact that we're strong because we have chariots. The fact that people think that they have these, these so to speak, the opportunity or the possibility of self-defense because of the military equipment or whatever it's going to be, takes away from Bitaqa. Nashim doesn't want that. That's also why... Uh, exactly the same idea we see later on when David confronts Goliath. Goliath came, besides the fact he's a tremendously strong and big person, but he didn't just rely on his physical size. He had uh, he had like a suit of armor, like the Bosnian says, from head to toe. So when the only method of, so to speak, attack was with a sword or a spear, uh, Goliath is pretty much invincible. Uh, you can't penetrate metal with metal. So he was, besides for being strong, he was also very well protected. And besides for that, he had a shield bearer, like the boss success. So he had a second person in front of him to, to, or to so to speak, to block the arrows or whatever someone was throwing him. He wasn't carrying his own shield? He was carrying his spear and his sword. It was because he was a shield bearer. Wow. So Goliath, like I said, as far as in, in the, the stage of warfare at the time, Goliath is very proud of himself. He doesn't feel it is possible to attack him. When David goes to attack, he doesn't even wear armor. Shaul offered him armor. He didn't even armor. He went just with, uh, with nothing. Completely undefended. Just wearing the clothing he was normally wearing. With the stones, like the pastor says, he picked that one away. And there was a reason for that. Exactly what, uh, what the line we just said, David told Goliath as well. You come in with a You're proud of yourself because you think that you have better uh, armor, better physical protection. I'm coming with Hashem. And I'm showing him coming to Hashem because I'm not relying on anything else. David didn't come with a sword, he came with three stones. And Shaul let him do this? And uh, that was one. That's what one. And there's the same thing over here. We don't see it, it's an amazing thing. 
even though Klai Yisrael were an attacking army of Israel, we don't find anywhere that they attacked with horses and, uh, and chariots, which was, again, the, the, the tools of warfare at the time. Right, that's what they had. That was the way to fight. Klai Yisrael didn't do that, and it was Badafka. And it wasn't just because they didn't have it. Badafka here, when they could have got it, right, they, they attacked and they won, and therefore all these spells would have fallen to them. Hashem specifically tells them, ruin it. Don't keep it, because the fact that you have it is going to weaken your bitachon. And this falls into the general rule, which is a myth in the Torah, when it's talking about a king. It says, in the same passage of Shavti, when it's talking about the myths of the king, so there are three myths that Hashem gives the king. One of the myths that Hashem gives the king is not to have too many horses. Not to have too many horses. And uh, one of the reasons which is brought to that mitzvah is because too many horses is, again, that was a sign of the battle. That was a power in battle. And we don't want the king to rely on his, on his stables that, that he has a, that, that's what he's going to have for his army. Somebody in the Pasuk, when the Pasuk says he shouldn't have too much money, right? what the Gemara in Sait understands that to mean is he has to have enough to pay the soldiers, which he, the minimum soldiers needs to have, but more money is basically a way to be able to hire more mercenaries. And therefore, besides the fact that stockpiling money was also considered, so to speak, to be a certain military advantage, because if I have more money, I can hire more soldiers. By the way, this is something we're going to see a number of times in the Nakh, but later on. And that is one of the, it seems then at the time, like any any given king was willing to go to battle if you paid him enough. It was, there wasn't so much diplomacy, it was a question of money. And you're going to see again and again in the Nakh, that when one country was attacked by another one, the question is who, who they could hire to come join them. It was the, the, the alliances moved just based on the money. Right. And therefore, when you, we're going to see specifically in, in Malachim, when Israel attacked Yehuda, Yehuda went to Asher, this one went to, uh, this one went to Aram, this one went to Babel, this one, yeah, whoever they could pay, this one went to Mitzrayim. It was just a question of, of paying for soldiers. And therefore, the ability of a person to stockpile money was also, it was a certain safeguard militarily, because if you have enough to pay, you can hire soldiers. Right. And therefore, that for these two things, Hashem doesn't allow a king to stockpile. Not horses and not money. And they both come from the same side which we see here as well. And that is when a person feels too confident of his own ability to protect himself, that by definition is going to weaken his trust in Hashem. That is, and therefore, there was an Indian here when they, when they conquered these Goyim to destroy the horses and to destroy the chariots. Vayashav Yeshua, this is the next part, which is the continuation of this battle. Pasuk Yud, Vayashav Yeshua Vayesahi, Vayilkar is Chotzar Vayesmael Chatzel, like we said, was the main kingdom who orchestrated, engineered this battle. So after killing all the soldiers, Yeshua goes back. Remember, they'd gone much further north. They chased the soldiers, and now Yeshua comes back. So he comes back, and he destroys Chatzel in revenge, so to speak, for leading the campaign. He caught their king, he killed him by a sword. Because Chatzel used to be the head of the kingdoms. And that's why Chatzel could, could bring all the other kingdoms into the war. And therefore, Yeshua first focuses on destroying the city of Chatzar. He kills all the people there by the sword, he destroys them. And he burns the city in fire, which is always a symbol that was something which was it's not just the, the conquest which they were meant to do to kill the people, but it was, so to speak, a revenge for starting the battle against them. That was Chatzar. Now all the other places. All the other cities of the kings who took part in the battle, as well as the kings. Yeshua captures them. He destroys all these other cities as well. 
which was not to leave any of the Kanaanim alive. Rak kala arim arim desaltilam, no Israel from Israel. The Adas says Israel, Kalashal didn't burn down. So the Adas says, the Vada, so if you're sure, there was a reason. Chatzel was the instigator of the war, they burned it down. Everything else, Kalashal kept. Vechol shlal arim 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 all the spoils of the cities and the animals, Bazal and Israel, Kalashal kept for themselves, they took their spoils. Rak is kala adam yukulafi kharef, they killed all the people. At Ishmidam, Oysim lay in the Hishiro Kalashal. They didn't leave any people alive. Kashet Siva, Shemis Moshe Avdai, Kain Siva Moshe Yeshua. And that was the, the mitzvah not to, to destroy all the time, not to leave any of them alive. And what Yeshua was told, that's what he did. And therefore, just to sum up the battle, as a result, Yeshua conquers the whole, now we're talking about the middle part of Eretz Yisrael, which is where all these kings came from. Hohar, Hohar always means the mountainous region of Har Ephraim, that's the middle part of Eretz Yisrael. That was the south, which had taken before already. That's going down to the sea. That's another side going down to Yadin. That's as far north as Lebanon. That's as far north as Lebanon. This was the, the basically when they all attacked him. So he went around cleaning up all the cities which in the north of Eretz Israel, one by one. But this wasn't quick. It took a long time. Not just telling you Bekitza, what the campaign was, but it didn't happen in one day, it didn't happen in a short period of time. We know that the amount of time it took Yeshua to conquer Eretz Yisrael was seven years. And we always talk about the Shevish Akashu. And now we're just summing up everything. No city made peace with Klai Yisrael. Which they want to trick Klai Yisrael. Everyone else fought and everyone else lost in battle. And why would they do that? It's like someone else before, after having seen so many miracles and uh, witnessing that uh, Klai Israel was pretty much invincible, what caused the other cities to fight? Why would they? Well, it was uh, suicidal. It says the Pasuk, Hashem engineered it. He gave them, the, so to speak, the resolve to go to battle against Klai Israel in order to destroy them. That's why they would have no possibility of getting a compassion because they went to fight. Hashem wanted to destroy them because Hashem commanded Moshe, and this is an important point. HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, didn't just orchestrate how the battle was going to run. HaKadosh Baruch also arranged the fact that they were going to go to war. And this is something that we're going to talk about tomorrow, that we see when it comes to Milchama, when it comes to wars, there's two parts to a war. There's one part of Hashem directing the battle on the battlefield, there's another point of, and so we're going to talk about tomorrow, how Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak, causes events to happen to make to make countries go to war with each other. That's the second chalik of the idea of battle, of, of, of making the factors fall into place in order to start the battle. And that's why this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow.